Church, is anybody glad for the presence of the Lord that's with us this morning? Would you give God one more hand clap of praise? He's so good, and I'm glad to have your presence here with us today. Welcome, and if you're a guest, we greet you. And, and I want to ask everybody to join me in greeting all those that are tuning in with us online at the live stream. Would you put your hands together one more time to show your love to them? God bless y'all. Thank you for joining us. And uh, there's no distance in the spirit, and I just believe God is going to speak to his people today. And we're embarking on a four-week series called A Glorious Return. And it's all centered around the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we know that he is coming again. And we're going to look scripturally, historically, and prophetically at just this season in human history and, and Bible prophecy that we find ourselves in. This first message is foundational because I think there's some misunderstanding. I've had misunderstanding of really how we're supposed to respond uh, to prophecy about the end times. I don't know if any of y'all have ever uh, been expecting one thing and then it was another thing. Anybody in there ever ordered like uh, Dr. Pepper and they brought you a diet soda? That's just blasphemy. (laughs) Blasphemy. Uh, Or or, like Sprite and water. You know, it's just, it's shocking. It's not what you were anticipating. And when it comes to the end times, uh, sometimes we've got one perception, and I just want to hopefully bring some freedom and light to uh, the truth of the story of the end times, of of what's happening. Ultimately, it is, uh, like the title of today's message says, it is a love story. And the end times is one of the most requested uh, topics that, that I get as a pastor to discuss or to speak about, and, and reasonably so. The Bible, if you don't know, is... It's a living book. Anybody know it's more than just a history book? It is alive. And it speaks of things from the past, and all that's accurate. And so when it speaks of things in the future, you better pay attention, because it ain't been wrong yet. Can I hear a good amen from the church? And it, In the Bible, about a third of the, the book of the Bible, about a third of Scripture is prophecy. And if you've got your Bible today, much of that prophecy concerns end times. And as much as 3,000 years ago, these Scriptures predicted events that are taking place even now. Uh, And I believe that what we are seeing is setting the stage for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Uh, In the book of Ezekiel 38, it predicted events happening in the earth. You're watching it play out in the news. Things going on in Russia, things that are developing in China. It was predicted in Scripture how they would move and converge Uh, on Israel and in the Middle East, and both militaries are currently present in Syria, which in the Bible it talks about a a location known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat or the Valley of Judgment, where you may be familiar, that's where the Battle of Armageddon is uh, prophesied to take place, and it predicts that these nations, now when you read scripture, the, the nation of Russia, its historical name is Rosh, so when you see that in the Bible, that's speaking of Russia. It talks about it forming an alliance with the king of the east, which is China. And you see these two starting to have this uneasy alliance. It even mentions Iran and them playing a major role. Anybody heard of Iran in the news before concerning Israel? Of course. And you've got a book that has predicted and protected the future. And instead of bringing fear, I want to submit to you that it should give us great confidence in who God is. Because... Uh, God has not only, not only does he know what the future holds, he holds the future in his hands. Amen? And so that's the God that we serve. And so as we look across what's happening in the world today, I know it can be disturbing. 
uh, and rightfully so. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things going on right now. So in the next four weeks, uh, we're going to try to unpack scriptural truths about the end times, beginning today, if you want to take notes right here, beginning with the basic doctrinal truth of Christianity that Jesus is coming again. Uh, That's just a fact. And we're going to look at what the Word says about that and what it says uh, that we should do in response to that truth. Of course, Jesus was once here on the earth. He walked uh, the earth in in the form of, of a man and He was crucified and resurrected and ultimately ascended back into heaven, and he is coming back again. But this story, this this account of his return should not be a horror story. It's a love story. And a lot of people get bogged down uh, in the tribulation period, in the Antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast. And not all those things are real. Some people are like, am I going to have to take the mark of the beast to go to Walmart? And they'll just scan my forehead like, boop. Uh, That's not what we're looking at today. That's not really the focus of the return of Jesus. Uh, Anybody glad? It doesn't really matter what the Antichrist is up to. It matters what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and the hope that we have in him. And so I I just want to start by reading what Jesus said about these end times. In John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And if I had a message for the church today, it would be these words. Because so many are so concerned about things that uh, God never intended for them to stress us out. And if you're a Christian, I need to let you in on something. It's not like being on the Cowboys. You're on the winning side. Hallelujah. And you'll never lose. And so the end times, seeing these things unfold, if you're a believer, this is the best news I I could ever give you. But if you're not a believer, this is the worst news. And you need to make sure that your heart is right with the Lord because I believe the time is ripe for the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in this scripture, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And that phrase just speaks to the reality that this earth is not all there is. He said, I gotta go take care of some eternal things so I can... Uh, have a place ready for you in eternity. Anybody glad this earth is not all there is? These old bodies aren't all that were promised in the name of Jesus. It says, uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I love that, that he says those four words, I will come back. But then I had never really noticed until preparing for this message and this series of messages, uh, I've maybe not fully appreciated the next line. Where he says, I will come back and take you to be with me. Jesus is less concerned with fighting with the devil. I hope you all realize the devil has already lost. So he ain't just coming back to kick the Antichrist out of power. He's coming back for you and for me. He said, I'm coming to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is God's way of saying, I love you. I miss you. And I just want to be with you. And again, we know that after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that he walked on the earth for 40 days, Scripture records. And he was in his glorified body, and he gave final instruction to his followers, equipping them 
for what we know as the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's in Acts 1.8 where he says, and the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll have the power uh, to be bold, to be my witnesses all across the world. But right after verse 8, let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 9. It says, after he said this, after he'd said, you'll be my witnesses, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white, these are angels, stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And this of course, was, he was taken away on the Mount of Olives to the east of the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible predicts, it prophesies that's the same place he's going to descend again someday uh, very soon. And, but I want to point back to what he said before he left. The last words we have from Jesus while he was on this earth in the flesh was, I'm going to send you now. He said, I'm going to heaven and I want you to go into all the world. He spoke of a great harvest, a great revival. And y'all, this is happening. And I know every generation has thought, well, this could be the one where, where God returns. I've been hearing it my, my life. And, and I, I don't want you to, to get tired of hearing that or get calloused at hearing those words. Many generations pointed to somebody. They thought maybe Adolf Hitler or Nero or somebody like this was the Antichrist. But something is different about this generation. Did you know this? This is a true fact that in the last 50 years, more people have been born again, have been uh, saved by Jesus Christ than in the, the last 1973 years before that. So since the resurrection of Jesus, more people have gotten saved in the last 50 years than all the other years combined. So there's a great revival happening. And, and you might be wondering, well, I'm not seeing that. Doesn't feel like that here. Well, there's 193 sovereign nations in the world. And the gospel is growing faster than the population rate in all of those countries except for 17. Out of 193 the gospel spreading faster than people are being born. People are being born again faster than people are being born, except in 17 of them. 12 of them are in stasis, or I mean like they're just staying the same. They're not gaining or losing really, about the same numbers. Five of them are in decline. The United States is one of the 12 that's just kind of stagnated. And so there is a revival, a massive revival happening right now in 176 nations of the world, many of them Muslim nations. People are coming to know Jesus in the most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world. I think somebody should give God some praise that he's spreading the gospel and spreading his word. But here's the kicker. I want to be part of that. I want that to be happening in Iowa Park and in Wichita County and Wilbarger County and Vernon, wherever God calls us to. We see the, the drops of revival just falling on this earth. And Lord knows we need physical rain in these parts. But how many of you know we need the spiritual rain of the Holy Spirit to convict hearts, to inspire the church, to step up and do what God has called us to do? Because uh, God is coming again very soon. And the Bible is very, very... Uh, Descriptive. It's, it's, it hits on this subject of Jesus' return a lot. In fact, over 300 references in the New Testament talk about the end times of the return of Jesus. 216 of the 260 chapters in the New Testament reference 
the return of Jesus, the end times. 23 of 27 New Testament books talk about this subject. So if you feel like we talk about it a lot, it's because it's important. Eternity's important. Souls are important. And we want people to be alert and awake to what's happening in the world around us. Now, why is this topic so prevalent in the New Testament? I believe one reason is because this is such a dangerous time that we live in. It gives a lot of warning. You've probably all been sensing this with the rise in violence, the rise in inflation, just the craziness, the moral decay of the world. And the Bible warns it'll even be rough for Christians during this time. In fact, it says the love of many will grow cold. And we don't want that to happen in our heart. We want to be prepared. How many of you know God's not coming back for an organization? He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for those who he has relationship with. And uh, we want to make sure we have that relationship. And so this teaching, it's for your comfort and your encouragement because Jesus loves you. It says so in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look with me at the word of God. It says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord, so he's coming again, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And I just want to say right here, that if you've got loved ones that were followers of Jesus that have passed away, they're not dead. Their bodies may have died, but they're very much alive. Anyone grateful for that hope that we have in Jesus, to see the Lord and to see our loved ones again? It goes on to say that for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this is not talking about the Methodists. It's talking about believers. I'm just messing with you. I know some of y'all are from Methodist background. That's why I said that. I'm just playing. But it goes on to say that after that, we who are still alive and are left will be, and notice this phrase, will be caught up together. Now, this is where we get the doctrine of what many people call the rapture. You won't find the word rapture in the Bible, but uh, these two words, caught up, are from a Greek word, harpazo, which is kind of like, I, I tried to make this example in first service and I forgot the rules of the game. Anybody remember the game Spoons? Where like you play the card game? Wow, that's the best amen I've gotten all morning. Okay, Spoons, there you go. Uh, whatever. <laughs> spoons and Jesus, I guess. But in that card game, so there's like, say there's eight people, then you've got seven spoons. There's one less than whoever's playing, and you deal out the cards, and you've got to get four of a kind. And if you're the one, I got that right. Somebody corrected me, thankful for the correction of the Holy Spirit and my friends. Uh, you've got to get four of a kind, then you've got to grab, be the, you grab a spoon. And that tells everybody else, you better grab one, because if you, don't, if you don't have one, you're out. And that snatching, like people do, if you've ever seen them play that game, that's what this Greek word herpazo is like. It's that snatching, that catching away. He's coming quickly to take us to him. And it's also a, a Latin word, rapturo, which is where we get the word rapture. So it's not a mistake when people say there's a rapture just because that word's not in the Bible. It's hearkening to this being caught up together with them in the clouds. The Bible says to meet the Lord in the air, and then it's so beautiful, and so we will be with the Lord forever. I just, I long for that day. The whole motivation, saints, for Christ's return is that he wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him forever. And it goes on in the next verse to say, and therefore encourage one another with these words. And 
I want to encourage you that I do believe Jesus is coming again. Not only that, I believe he's coming again soon. I want to encourage you, though, to, to don't let your heart be troubled, uh, but let's be encouraged to do what God has called us to do before he returns. See, the, the motivation for Jesus' soon return is not simply for us to escape wrath and horror, but it's the fact that God wants his people to be with him, to have a face-to-face relationship with our Father. We're the family of God. You are the family of God. If God had a refrigerator, he'd have your picture on it because he loves you that much. You're so special to him. And the one thing that God gets out of all this, his redemptive plan, the one reward for him paying the price of giving his only begotten son to die for us, he did all that for you. He did all that to bring us back into right standing with him. He, he loves you. He placed his spirit in you. And you're a divinely created being in God's own image. And there's a very deceptive belief, I would dare say even demonic belief, that wants us to think that we're just some cosmic accident, like a collection of cells that brood in a primordial soup. And we, we came up out of the the ooze and we grew a tail and then we shook the tail off and grew some hair all over our body and then it all fell off except that which is on top of our head at least most of you that which is on top of our head and and it's just it's kind of crazy to think you know that's it's no wonder people act like animals when we tell them that's all they are that's all your purpose is you're so much more than that look it didn't go from goo to you by way of the zoo okay you are God's child Made in the image of Almighty God. You're not a mistake or an accident. And the first two chapters of the Bible, the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, talk about God's love with man and and the the harmony between mankind and and our creator. Then sin, sin enters the picture and chaos ensues for the next, all the rest of the Bible. But then the last two chapters of the same scripture in the book of Revelation we see the harmony between God and man restored. Let's look at uh, the beginning of those two chapters. Revelation 21, John the Revelator records, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I just want to remind you, we've taught about this before, but just a reminder, um, you don't have to worry like I once did. I used to be so scared of the rapture happening because I, I wanted to do some things with my life. I wanted to get married. I wanted to learn to drive. I wanted to you know, f- figure out just all the fun things in life. Anybody ever felt that way? Any, any honest Christians, you've ever come home and nobody else was home and you thought the rapture just happened? Am I the only one, the scared little boy that was that way? But don't worry, it says there's a new heaven but also a new earth and this one. So you're gonna get to experience the joys of this, of this earth without the sorrows. There'll be no, no more tornadoes or no more mosquitoes. Hallelujah. No more disease, no more pain, no more traffic. Come on, somebody. It's all going to be right because God will make it so. And it says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And notice the wording of all this. It's relational. It's this, this beautiful relationship between a groom and his bride. It's not a horror story. It's a love story. Then he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He's going to make sure nothing ever goes wrong again, because he'll be with us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
And then some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. This is in the book of Revelation. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And if you're grateful for that, could somebody give the Lord a good amen right there? Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that we have. So again, the real motivation, the real picture of revelation is God's extravagant love for you. Of him saying, I'm going to make everything right. Trust me. Keep your eyes on me. And I, I know that some of you may struggle with this like I struggle with. Uh, you, you don't necessarily struggle with wanting to love God. You struggle with believing God would love you. And I've had people say this to me. I've given counsel to people even recently who uh, it breaks my heart because they'll say something, some version of this. They'll say, I, I know God forgives me, but I just don't think he could like me because I'm a mess. Anybody relate to that? And I, I want to try to just share a personal example to hopefully shine some light on how your heavenly father sees you. See, I'm an earthly father. And the Bible says we're not near as good as him, but we, we are a reflection of his love. I've got four children. I love all of them with, with all my heart. And they all went through a just an adorable stage. I see one right over here. I love seeing babies. Y'all, babies just make me happy. You know, how can you not look at a baby, this little, little person? They're, they're just so beautiful. There's another one right over there. They're just, they're just a joy. People see babies, and it just lifts your spirits. But y'all, don't take this the wrong way, those of you that have infants in the room, but they're some of the most disgusting creatures known to man. They use the bathroom in their own clothes. They, they slobber everywhere. They cry. They make loud noises at the most awkward, inopportune times. It's happened to me so much as a pastor. And the way they eat, God bless them. My youngest, Benjamin, when he was a baby, yeah, he's, still did, he's still figuring out eating. Y'all remember the hot dog story. But uh, when he was a baby, I remember him sitting in his little high chair thing, and it was like the, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. He had produced more food on the floor than we even set on his plate. Where did it all come from? It was all over his clothes and everywhere. I've never once looked at my children when they make a mess and, and feel disgust. I love them. In fact, I just want to be like, just let me get you cleaned up so daddy can hold you. Your heavenly father's better than me. And he looks at you in your mess and never once looks at you disgusted. He looks and says, that's my child. I just want to clean him up so I can hold him. And so please don't disqualify yourself from God's love because of anything you've done. It's not about what we've done, it's about what Jesus has done for us, amen? And so all of this kind of paints a picture of, of the end times and what it really is, this love story, but it still leaves the question, I think it's a valid question if you'll write this down, are we living in the last days? You know, it's a funny question, really. I guess you could say it's a silly question because the answer for you definitely is yes. Regardless of your theology about the end times, you're living in your last days. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear this uplifting message? But the reality is, even if Jesus does not come back tomorrow, none of us are promised tomorrow. So a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, what I was wanting to know when I'm asking that question is, do I need to start living right? Is it near the end? How many of you know you should be living the right way regardless of what days we live in? But we are going to show over these next three weeks, 
I believe there's something so significant, so different about this generation. You need to be alert. You need to be awake to the season that we're in. And the truth is, these are our last days, but I also believe these are very likely the last days before we will see the return of Jesus in this generation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. And this is true. We're not going to know the, the day, the Bible says. We don't know the day or the hour. That's what Jesus said. But it goes on to say, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, if you knew a thief was coming to your house, because look, the Lord has promised he's coming again, and he says it's going like to be suddenly. I would hope you would prepare for a thief to come to your house before the thief got there. The patron saint Macaulay Culkin gave us a great example in the, in the Christmas. Sorry, I can't even keep a straight face. It's in Home Alone, okay, Home Alone. If you don't know what that is, you're more sanctified than me, whatever. He knew some robbers were coming to his house, and he got prepared. If you knew a thief was coming to your home, you would make preparations. We know, it says, you know very well that the day of the Lord's coming is coming quickly in the twinkling of an eye. So why aren't we getting ready? Why aren't we prepared? It's a question we should ask ourselves. It says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now I need you to get this. It says we won't know the day or the hour, but we'll know the, the signs. We'll know the seasons. And have you with a pregnant woman, you may not know the due date, but you can tell when she gets nine, nine months pregnant. Hallelujah. Deliver her, Lord Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? So we can see when the return is near. And it says that it's something we can't escape from. It's going to happen. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light in the day. We do not belong to the dark or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, ready for what's happening. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And now it doesn't really matter what you believe about when he's coming back as long as you know he's coming back. I personally believe we're going in the rapture before the tribulation. Any of you that want to hang around for the tribulation, you do you. I'm going on the first elevator out of here. Amen. Because it says right here, he did not appoint us. I've got an appointment and it's with the Lord, not with wrath. That's what the Bible says. And it also says that the Antichrist cannot even be revealed until that which holds him back has been removed. Do you know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit, is what the word says, holds the Antichrist back. So it couldn't have been Nero, couldn't have been Hitler, because the, the Holy Spirit is still in the earth, because where is the Holy Spirit? In us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I believe we will have to be caught away before the Antichrist can even really do what he's got to do, because he can't withstand the, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen? So it goes on to, to say you will not, you're not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So it's good we talk about these things, that we be reminded that we're on God's mind. He's thinking of us even now of how he wants to be with us, how he's make, made a way of restoration so that we could be with him 
forever. And these are the Apostle Paul's writings, some of his letters in the New Testament. But I also want to submit to you three truths from the Apostle Peter, who, who also wrote books in the New Testament. And of course, unlike Paul, the Apostle Peter spent about three years walking with Jesus in the flesh and had that, that great experience. And so we can learn from his experience. And he speaks quite a bit about the end times. And there are three things revealed that I believe we can learn from his teaching in the Word of God. Number one, that we should do because we know that the times are short is we should be right with God. Look, whether or not you're right or wrong on when he's coming back, you want to make sure you're right in your relationship with him. And so if I'm wrong and it's mid-trib or it's post-trib, you know what? I'm going to be just fine because I know who holds my eternity in his hands. I'm right with God, so I, I feel peace. I'm not letting my pretty little heart get troubled. Anybody with me? And when you're right with God, you can do this. But if you're not right with him, the Holy Spirit, even right now, is trying to let you know that. He brings conviction. He, he coaxes you. The Bible says woos you and reminds you of your need to respond to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And you have opportunity today just to confess your sin to him. He says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the word says for you to know that you're saved, it says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead for you, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's your Savior and Lord. And you don't care who knows it. And you're going to live a life that shows it. The Bible says you will be saved. It's as simple as that. It's by faith in Christ alone. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you may pray. So let us get right before God. You know, Get prepared like a bride. Any, any of y'all ever seen a bride get ready for her wedding day? It's something. I mean, the, the preparations that are made, the money that's spent, the diets that they go on, they, they get ready, body, soul, spirit, pocketbook. You know, it's, it's all the things. And, and we need to prepare ourselves for the return of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 7 says, let us rejoice and be glad. This is right in the middle of the book of Revelation, talking about all this crazy stuff. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. That's us. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You hear that again. We know it's coming. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything laid done in it will be laid bare. So if all this is going to happen, what should we do? I'm glad you asked that. The very next verse says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So we see this is happening. We see what's happening around us. But I wonder what's happening within us, in our hearts, and in our lives. So number one, you need to make sure you're right with God. And number two, you should rely on godly relationships. This is what's going to see us through these tough times that we're living in. And uh, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, above all, love each other deeply. In fact, the Bible says this is how people will know that we're Christ's followers, is that we have love one for another. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I just want to address here that 
If you have an abundance of sin in your life, it's probably a direct uh, result of having not an abundance of accountability in your life. You don't have people that can speak into your life, that can speak the truth in love. You keep things hidden, and then you get in that cycle of feeling shame and guilt, and you try to do it on your own. You were never meant to do it on your own. And so know that this is how we're supposed to be. We need those godly relationships. It goes on to say, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, and, and just share and show the love of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And look, a lot of people right here will like point to people that don't attend church. And I'm, I'm sad that some people uh, don't have a place to call home, the people that are Christians. And look, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but uh, there's a lot of things you don't have to do that are a blessing for you if you will do them. And, and I own it. As a pastor, we've not always done the best, meaning the church globally. We've not always represented Christ well. And I'm sorry that, that sometimes people have walked in uh, being judged when they needed to be loved. And, and that, that, you know, we're trying to do better. But please know that this is not the time for us to make a big deal out of little differences. This is the time for us to join together. Not, not giving up meeting together, the word says, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody else see that day just drawing closer and closer? And so I ask you just commit to, to being together, praying together. I want to invite you to some things. Every Saturday we've got prayer life at 9 a.m. We meet right here in the sanctuary. It's a small group, but it's growing actually. And Man, it's so powerful to see a church that, that prays one for another and prays for the lost, and it's making a huge difference. When you write out prayer requests, man, like yesterday, Saturday morning, there were people in here. We had dozens and dozens of prayer needs all across this stage. And people took the time to lay their hands on them and to pray over. Because those represent souls and people and, and people's lives. And, and you're invited to just be part of this. Find time to, to pray together and be together. I want to invite you this Wednesday night, every first Wednesday of the month, we have a special worship gathering in the evening Every first Wednesday at 6.30, uh, even those from our Vernon campus come over and we join together. We just worship and rejoice in the Lord. We hear the word together. We pray one for another. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Come out this Wednesday, September the 6th, 6.30 p.m. I'd love for you to be here. And we're entering the fall season of life groups. And you can get plugged into a life group. There's still sign-ups uh, back in the fellowship hall. Go check those out. There's several uh, still available. And we're putting more on the website, lakeviewpeople.com slash life. Some are already meeting. The many you can still jump in and get involved in. Please check those out. Uh, you know, we offer these things for your good, for your blessing, to have people in your life that will pray for you, that you can talk about the word together. You can just share life together. And finally, if you've got anything going on in your life, uh, any hurt, habit, or hang-up, you can come every Tuesday night at 6.30 to celebrate recovery. And there's people here that will not judge you. They will love you. They will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Wouldn't it be nice to have a group of people that would pray for you and not gossip about you? Well, that's what Celebrate Recovery is like. And they meet together first in a big group and, and have a lesson and a testimony and, and worship. But then they break into small groups, men and women's groups, where you get to just share what's going on in your life and bear one another's burdens like the Bible says. And God's word says when we do that, that's when we find real healing and real freedom. 
So I encourage you to avail yourselves of these things that are available because I want you to, to have everything that God has for you so you can do everything God has called you to do. Because what's the main thing we do in response to knowing that Jesus is coming again and that it may be very soon? Number three, we should do everything we can to make a difference. I know this old world is very different. Y'all, I ain't old. Can I hear an amen to that? I'd like a better amen. I ain't old. <laughs> Whatever. But I'm getting there. I sure ain't getting younger. But even in my lifetime, my generation, uh, when I was in school, it looks very different now for, for those school aides than it did when I was, I was in school. They're facing different temptations and things and different struggles and we had to deal with. And while this world may be different, aren't you glad that Jesus, is, he never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's not let the church be changed by culture or by Congress. Amen? There is no law that can be passed that, that overrides the law of God found in his word, the truth of God's word. Let's, let's take a stand and let's watch God do things beyond what we could understand. He can do miraculous things and he'll use us to make a difference in this old world. If the enemy can do all these things, can't God do even greater things? Anybody believe that? So we want to do everything we can to make a difference. And this isn't all about one person or one day a week or one hour uh, during that day of, of having church. It's about us being the church every day, everywhere God calls us to. In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Each one, that's you, each one should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So God not only called you to salvation, but he gave you a calling to serve others. Be faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. It's not about our might, not about our power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord. It's all because of Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I want to see Jesus change this world before we see Jesus again. And one last scripture to answer that question, are we living in the last days? I can tell you how we can know when Jesus is coming again. He told us in Matthew 24, verse 14, he said, these are the words of Christ, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's the way Jesus said it. And again, we're going to unpack this more in the weeks ahead. This is one of the reasons I believe our generation is different. It's never happened where every nation in the world has the gospel being shared with them right now today. He could come back in an instant, like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye. And, and that should concern us. I mean, that should keep us sober. That should keep us alert. But... It just makes us aware, not afraid. We should be encouraged by the. It means all of this is real. It means that God really does love us and he's coming back again to bring us to himself, to make everything right and make all things new. And we read Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, where Jesus said, you know, the Holy Spirit will come on you to give you the boldness to be a witness in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are the last words we have recorded of him speaking while he was on the earth in the flesh. I want to talk about the last words. It's not in your notes. 
the last words we have in Scripture. If you've got a red letter edition of the Bible where the words of Christ are in red, the last time you'll see red letters is in the book of Revelation, the third chapter, where he's speaking to John the Revelator about things to come. And in chapter 3, I'm not going to read it, it won't be on the screen, look up chapter 3, but it's where, some of you may be familiar, where he says, I stand at the door and knock. Some of you familiar with that scripture. He says, I stand at the door and, and knock. Just He's wanting us to open the door for him. And he says, if you'll open it, what does he say? I will come in and I'll, I'll dine with you. Did you know the Bible says the first thing we get to do when we go to heaven, it ain't going to be singing, it's going to be eating. Can I hear a hallelujah from some Texans? Amen. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a big party and we get to dine with him. No calories. Praise God. And it's just going to be a celebration. But how many of you know God does all things well? and all things with intention and purpose. And I'd never caught this until studying this message and for these series of messages that part of Christ's resurrection, a lot of what we're gonna talk about these next few weeks are heavy, but I want you to remember what Jesus said. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So when you know he's the one that can shoulder all this, you won't put the heaviness on yourself. You'll just live a life of readiness for his return. I want to give you uh, something that I think brought, it brings me great joy. I pray it does you too. That Jesus did on purpose before he left this earth. Peter saw Jesus' body on the day of resurrection, but John, the beloved, recorded the detail. In fact, we have the resurrection in, in the Gospels, but John's Gospel has one detail, and it's that word up on the screen. John 20, verse 7 says, And the napkin that was about his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And I did not know this. We know the scripture was written to Jewish culture. And in, in their culture, it's similar to ours. The reason you would wrap an, a napkin together or fold a handkerchief together was when you were going to leave the table. It was to let people know, I'm coming back. So you would fold it a certain way, just like Jesus did. I used to just think that was an interesting little thing. I believe he did it exactly that way for an exact purpose. Because we're going to get to sit down with him and dine with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I believe, very soon. And I look forward to that day. But he left us a little reminder when he folded. that. That's another way you could translate wrap together. He folded it together to let us know, save my, save my seat I'm coming back again. Is anybody thankful for that promise that Jesus has given us? Praise be the name of the Lord. He told us all of this so that our heart would not be troubled and so that we could tell of his gospel to a lost and dying world. So I want to ask everyone to stand with me. And if you're in this place this morning and you do feel troubled, you feel unsettled about the return of Jesus, that's okay. We've all been there. In fact, we may sometimes have to find freedom from that again. Just uh, the enemy tries to mess with our mind and, and tell you you're not ready. Look, you want to make sure you're ready because ready or not, he's coming. So if you're in this place this morning and you don't know, remember, even if Jesus doesn't return tomorrow, you're not promised tomorrow. I want to give you opportunity to give your heart to him, to allow him to be Savior and Lord of your life. In the name of Jesus, if you're in this place and you'd say, you know what, this has woken me up. I need to really give my life to the Lord. I want to be ready, and I want to be used by God in the meantime to tell other people 
that Jesus is coming again. If that's you and you need to make a commitment to Christ or a recommitment to the Lord, would you raise your hand quickly where you're at? I'd like to pray with you just right where you're at. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God bless you. Yes, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Several hands. God bless y'all. You, you can put your hands down. God bless you. Yes. Other hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God for these making that powerful decision. The most important decision we could ever make. I want to ask you to bow your heads and bow your hearts. And again, I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. That you, just, you just talk to God. You don't need me to tell you how to say you're sorry. The Bible says you need to repent of your sins. That means you turn away from it. Like, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to turn my life over to you. Don't, don't play around with it. We didn't just make a mistake. We sinned against you, Lord. Would you just pray that way? Father, we just confess that we have failed you and sinned against you. And we ask you to forgive us. And I thank you that your word says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful. Even when we're not, you are so faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that your word tells us that if we believe in our heart that you, Lord Jesus, were raised from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So by your amazing grace, we place our faith in you right now and we receive your grace and we are washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I believe it and receive it. And all in agreement said, amen. Man, would somebody give the Lord praise for those hearts and lives. God bless y'all. Best decision you could ever make. But please, please don't keep that secret to yourself. He would have died only for you, but he died for the whole world. And so let him use your life, your testimony. You may need to take a next step. You may need to get water baptized. You may need to get in a life group. Take those steps to, to share your story with somebody else. Your story matters. There are people that will listen to you that might never listen to somebody like me standing on a stage in a church building. Let, let's let the church not wait for them to come to us. Let's go into all the world and preach the gospel and reach the lost for the, the cause of Christ. Amen. I want to ask the prayer team and the worship team to come. I'm going to pray a blessing over you to close this service. But I hope you know, more than we treat this as a house of preaching or a house of singing, Jesus said, let my house be known as a house of prayer. And if you have a prayer need for anything, we've been seeing God do miraculous things. And why would he stop now? So if you have a need in your life, if you've got somebody that you love, that you want to pray for, they don't know Jesus, we would be honored just to pray with you in agreement. The prayer team stands ready. I'll, I'll stay and pray with you as long as you need. Uh, you can move at any time. You're not interrupting me. These altars are open. And, and if you've got a need and you want to write it down, we pray over those prayer needs. You can put it on a connection card. Put that in the offering boxes. We pray over those all week. And like I said, on Saturdays, people pray over them. They lay their hands in agreement for just God to, to meet those needs and meet those situations in the name of Jesus. So let me pray over you. Then I'll dismiss you. They're going to send us out just with an atmosphere of worship. But if you need prayer, would you move? And we'd be honored to pray with you. Father, I thank you for my church family. Thank you for these men and women of God that, that you have called they're alive in this special season for such a time as this. Lord, let us be aware of it, not afraid of it, and let us be used by you for your glory to see souls saved, lives changed, and the kingdom advanced until we see you again face to face very soon. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and all God's people said, amen. One more time, would you go out giving the Lord praise? He's worthy of it. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. You're free to go. If you need prayer, we'll stay and pray as long as you need. If not, go with God. We love you, and he loves you even more.